more, you can check us out online at www.victorywired.com and be sure to like our Facebook page. Now let's welcome Pastor Michael as he continues our summer series, Heroes. We're going to look at the lives of ordinary men and women that did something extraordinary for God. We know that you're going to be challenged and inspired to be a hero for God too. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. We're thrilled that you're here today. If you're a first-time guest, we welcome you. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Church. We hope that you have enjoyed the worship with us so far, and thank you for being with us. Hope you'll come back and visit with us again. We've got a special gift at the close of the service today on your way out. Dads, we're going to make sure you've got, a, got some victory over your mind. So we got a, this is not pink, it's faded red, okay? Um, you can talk to Heather about that, guys, if that's a problem, if it looks too pink for you. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool cap, so we want to give that to you today. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Give all the dads a hand, if you would, please. Today is the second in this series called Heroes, which is a summer series. We're talking about how God takes ordinary people and he brings his extra, which is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and ordinary people end up doing extraordinary things for him in and through the power of the Holy Ghost. So this morning, I'm going to ask if you would please to stand with me. The title of the series is Heroes, Why Be Ordinary? The message today is called For the Sake of Your Future. And the text is found in Genesis chapter 41. We've got three verses, 50 through 52. So find a screen that's easy for you to see. Read out loud heartily with me, please. We've got a couple of problem words. That's Asenath and Potiphera. So we'll get past those. Everything else is easy. Okay, here we go. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Let's pray this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for the privilege today of standing together in your presence and calling you Father. Lord, for millennia, People had prayed in the name of somebody else's God. They had prayed in the name of their forefathers, in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when Jesus came on the scene, he said, Guys, I want you to learn a new way to pray. He said, When you pray, say, Our Father. Say that with me. Let's do it this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father, thank you today that you've given us the privilege of that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, to call you our Father. Not just my Father, But our Father, we're in this together, and there's a family, and there are siblings, and there are brothers and sisters. And as the video said, you're our really dad. God, we're overwhelmed this morning. We thank you that even as the the, the writer John said in his his first letter to the church, in the third chapter, he said, Behold, take a look at this. This is something to see. 
Behold what manner of love is this, that the Father has called us His children, the children of the living God. God, thank you today that we're your sons and daughters. Thank you for this Father's Day, for our earthly dads. Lord, those whose fathers have passed, we give thanks. Lord, those whose dads are living, we reach out to them today to thank them and tell them how much we love them and appreciate what they've done for us. Maybe, Lord, there are people in this room who are thinking in this moment, I, I, can't, I can't talk to my dad. We're relationship is broken. God, heal that. Mend that. Just, just reconcile the relationship. Bring peace and shalom and the healing of God. We ask you for this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. One thing I want to share with you today, if you, if you miss everything else, one thing that I want to say to you as we minister uh, Today is obviously about a very important Bible character by the name of Joseph, not Joseph, earthly father to Jesus, but Joseph, son of Jacob. Uh, Joseph, who is obviously a great leader in Egypt before the story ends, and so we want, we want to jump into the middle of that story. But in just a moment, um, I, uh, before we do that, I want to grab the one thing. So read that out loud with me, please. Deal with your past for the sake of... Of your future. The title of our message is For the Sake of Your Future. And so the message that is in Joseph's life is that I have to deal with my past for the sake of my future. Uh, this, this is a universal principle that is obviously fits uh, as a sinner. God must deal with my past so that my future can change. If I don't, then the wages of sin is death. Uh, speaking individually, the circumstances that I've faced that have been tragic or that have wounded me or offended me, things that I've not understood, things that have set me back, maybe temporarily, momentarily, or may have actually taken me out of, out of the game, sort of sent me to the showers of life off the ball field, um, sometimes those things last longer than they're supposed to. And I believe that that happens because of how we respond or react to them. And I have to deal with the hurts, the wounds, forgiving others, forgiving myself. I have to deal with choices that I've made, own up to it, give it, in, give it into the hands of the Lord, forgive myself, thankfully God has forgiven me, and be able to deal with that so that I can have a future that is blessed with His goodness and His, His blessing in my life. Somebody say amen. All right, so as we jump into this this morning, I have prepared and, and, and did a lot of the typical uh, research that are little tidbits that I think are helpful to us as we think about Father's Day. I, I celebrate my dad. I'm grateful for him. He went and graduated into his eternal reward February the 12th, 2002. And so he's, he's been a part of the great cloud of witnesses in the grandstands of heaven cheering me on for the last 14 years. And I'm thankful. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm so grateful my dad and I did not enjoy a good relationship until I moved back here to pastor this church. I was the typical smart-mouthed teenager, and I, I remember an argument that we had one time, and I said to him, I didn't ask to be born in this family, and pretty quick-wittedly he said, yeah, and if you had, I'd have told you no. <laughs> and so, and we ended up both laughing at that moment and making up <laughs> and embracing, you know. 
Um, I was 28 when I came back here, and the last place in the world I thought I would ever come back to is my own hometown. Left and just about shook the dust off my feet when I graduated high school and went to college and met my wife, Dawn. We were in North Carolina for about six years in Bible school and part of the ministry there in Praise Tabernacle, Dr. Kelly Varner's ministry. And then we're sent out of there and came back here, offered several churches in a couple of different places, and um, just really didn't feel like it was the Lord. And, you know, some of you have been here long enough, you've heard me tell the story of coming back to my hometown and getting off the plane when my son, who's now 28, was two weeks old, and we were bringing him home to show my parents. And uh, the, the runways were iced, and it was February, and uh, we had to actually deplane and walk across the tarmac. And when I got off there, not expecting anything out of the, the uh, ordinary, I heard the voice of the Lord down in here, not audibly out here, but down in here, the still small voice of my spirit. And I heard him say, you're going to build a church for me in this area. And I was just like, uh-uh. <laughs> and um, anyway, long, uh, I won't chase that rabbit any further than that down that trail, but we were coming home to show my son to my mom and dad. Long story short... About 11 months later, we were back in the house that I'd grown up in my whole life that I said I would never come back to, living with my mom and dad for four grueling months, and they were so gracious. They really, truly were. Uh, we never had a fuss or any kind of a fight, but let me just say to you, there's not a roof big enough for two families, and, uh, and so Drew's in the crib, and he's in the same room that I grew up in on front bedroom of 300 South Center. And uh, it was an experience. And we started the process of just putting together a little handful of a Bible study of just a, just a few folks and a, a dream, a vision for this congregation. And as that began to develop, I was 28 at the time, same age my son is now, and I would have a lot of family time with my mom and dad. I would stop during the day and have a glass of tea, and they're both retired, and we would talk. And I remember one very, very very life-changing discussion. I didn't tell this in the first service because I hadn't thought of it in a long time. But I remembered just really always not really having what I thought was the approval of dad. He was a very quiet man of few words, not, not very educated, one of 12 children, just poor dirt farmers from Savannah, Tennessee, and living the American dream, busting it sun up to sundown working on a farm and tractors and combines and cotton pickers and all kinds of stuff like that. And there were, there were sometimes weeks at a time that I really barely, as a little child, even remember seeing him because he would be up before 6 and heading to the farm and he would be coming in during harvest season after 10 o'clock at night and just remembering a dad who worked really hard to provide for us. And so there was a little distance. And uh, as I moved back here, we started to talk and actually get to know each other as adults. And I really began to respect dad. And it was kind of that old Mark Twain thing. You know, you're 16 years old and your dad's the dumbest person on the planet. And you, you turn 21 and you go, man, how did he get so smart so fast? You know, it's just that it wasn't 21 for me. It was a few years later, 25, 26, 28. And so we started having some conversations. And, and I just, whatever, for whatever reason, we were just being kind of very intimate and talking one day. Uh, in, in sharing our, bearing our souls, and I just said, you know, I always felt like Dad favored Jim, my older brother, and then uh, he was always on the ball field with, with Dewey, my younger brother, and uh, my dad looked at me, and the first time I'd really seen him break down and cry, and he said, son, you have no idea. He said, before we even had any children, I asked the Lord, 
I prayed and I asked the Lord to give me a musician and a preacher and a ball player. And you're two of those three requests. I've never told this here at church. It's just kind of a personal. And I started to cry. And I felt the approval and the blessing and the love of my father on my life like I had never, ever felt it before. I I started thinking, wow, I'm an answer to his prayer. What God is doing in my life, in my ordinariness, in, in, in battling through feelings of inadequacy and coming back here to do something that was like I'm moving a mountain in my life. My dad looked at me and he said, and you're the answer to two of those three prayers. And I just, let me just say this to you dads. Some of you, I'm sure you're probably maybe a little uncomfortable with a man standing on the stage and crying. But I want to tell you, your, your sons desperately need to know that you approve of them. They need to know that you care they, they can know you care by your working hard, but they need to hear you say it. I, I'm so grateful that something got birthed in my relationship between me and my dad and so that it got passed. Something got healed because there was a father wound in my heart that I had grown up with. And God did something to touch me and heal me so I could be a better dad in the next generation to my son. And I enjoy such an amazing relationship with my son. He was on the phone with me here a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me about a couple of opportunities that had opened up for him. And he, he, he ended the paragraph that he was just going on and talking about it. And he said, Dad, I, I really, I'm going to make you proud. I said, Son, I've been proud of you for years. What are you talking about? And I tell him that. And, and the beauty of the thing is that even in high school, when he was in high school, he would always hang up the phone talking to me with the last thing he'd say, I love you, Dad. And the other boys that were his age, 16, 17, 18 years old, had told him, I wish I had a relationship with my dad the way you do with yours. And so I'm grateful for that. I think that, that God helped me to be a better dad to my son because God healed something between my dad and me. And so the point of the story is out of a personal issue with my own life, we have to, as men, deal with the past for the sake of our future, not just our own personal blessing, but so that we don't jack up our kids in the next generation. And none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. One of the greatest things that I learned from an early age as a dad was when I needed to say to my children, sit down with them, get down on my knees in front of them, in front of these little people, and look them in the eye, be eyeball to eyeball with them, and say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I disappointed you. I made a promise and I couldn't follow through. Something happened at the church. We got busy, blah, blah, blah. Being able to say you're sorry to your children and mean it is something so very powerful because they see see your heart and they see your desire to do things in order to not just provide for them, but to love them and to be with them and to have quality time with them. This morning, as I bring this to you, some of the things that I said that I I typically prepare for are just reading statistics about the involvement of fathers in homes. You've all heard the stories about the demographics of prison inmates and that the one thing that they overwhelmingly have in common is that most men that are in prison today share the demographic that they had absentee fathers, some of them not even knowing who their dads were. And many times that repeats itself in the next generation. This is not a 
only an ethnic problem. It's a, it's a poverty issue. It is something that, that, that affects people of, of every race and every creed and every socioeconomic status. There are, there, are, there are dads who are extremely successful and try to buy their children's love by never being involved with them but spending crazy amounts of time as, as workaholics at the job and enjoying the American success story but sacrificing their children and their children's well-being and their emotional well-being and certainly their spiritual futures on the altar, sacrificing all of that on the altar of their entrepreneurial business job success. I decided years ago that this church might grow a little slower than some others because I was not going to sacrifice the relationships with my children or my family on the altar of ministerial success. And if it took me a little longer... It took a little while. I wanted to get to a place of success and have my kids still love me and my, be still married to the same woman. Thank God. And, and who still loves me. She told me this morning. She said, go get them, baby. And I'm thankful for that. She, she still loves me. That's crazy. 31 years later, she still loves me. This is what I want to say. I'm so thankful for all the women. And we celebrated moms uh, last month and how important you are, and what a hero really you are in the lives of your children. But I want to tell you something that, that really jarred me this, this time as I did some study. I always add to what I've learned in the past. It said that mothers who are believers, 20% of the time, their families will follow them to church. But they said when a dad makes a commitment to follow Christ, 85% of the time the family will follow that dad who is willing to stand up and be a spiritual leader will follow that man to church. And I think there's something very powerful about that because men have a place in the home that in a lot of times we have abdicated, we have walked away from and just sort of let the ladies be the spiritual ones and be the prayer warrior and be the encourager and take our place. And we've sort of had, uh, it was what Larry, Dr. Larry Crabb, I believe, wrote the book called The Silence of Adam. And it was a whole book how many times men just want to keep peace and so they're, they're just quiet and they don't really speak up. They don't, they don't challenge the family. In the very same way that Adam was standing right there in the garden in Genesis 3, for whatever reason we've had the impression that he was way back on the back 40 somewhere when Eve heard the serpent and took the fruit down from the forbidden tree and tasted of it, he was not on the back 40 somewhere. The scripture says she gave some to her husband who was standing there with her. And the greatest sin is not her sin of commission, it's his sin of omission. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, wait a minute, we trust God. We we're not going to let this lying, deceptive spirit enter into our covenant with the God that we trust. We're going to stand up and, and, and instead of lovingly and gently correcting his wife who was in that moment deceived by the enemy... He was just silent. And too many times men commit the same sin of omission and, are, and commit the silence of Adam when we ought to speak up and go, no, our trust is in God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is what we're going to put our trust in. We're going to believe God. We're not going to doubt His promise. We're not going to believe a lying, deceptive, challenging, doubt-filled spirit that's trying to work its way into here and make us challenge our belief in the God who's always been good to us and the God who's always great enough to perform the promise that he's made to us. Can somebody give me an amen in this house this morning? Hallelujah. 
20% of the time, families will follow mom. 85% of the time, if a man will stand up and be a godly man. And today we celebrate you because you're the men who stepped up so that you could rise up to the expectations of the family, so that you could provide for and you could train up the children in the way should, that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Somebody say amen. amen. This morning, as I open this particular um, message on Joseph, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, his life. He is one of six primary characters found in the book of Genesis. Genesis is 50 chapters, and we've got six main dudes that we talk about in the book of Genesis. This going to give you kind of a little bit of an outline and overview. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. So we've got generations between Adam and Noah. We've got a lot of generations between Noah and Abraham. But then once we get a hold of Abraham, God makes a special covenant with Abraham. He's a childless man married to Sarah, Sarah, or whatever her name is, and their names get changed. He births Isaac, or his wife births Isaac. They bring Isaac into the world, which means laughter. Isaac then has Jacob and Esau, two twins, and the covenantal promise goes through Jacob. Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons. His name is changed to Israel. So Israel, Jacob, whose name now is Israel, he is the father of 12 sons. They become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is one of them. Now, if you'll remember the story, uh, Jacob works for about seven years because he falls in love with this amazingly beautiful woman by the name of Rachel. And his father-in-law tricks him because marriage night... He actually switches Rachel and puts in Leah. Leah, I guess, kind of had sad eyes or something, and Jacob was very attracted to Rachel and loved her literally almost indescribably. He wakes up the next morning after the honeymoon, and he's not in the bed with Rachel. He's in the bed with Leah. You talk about feeling tricked. And is there a 30-day return policy on this? <laughs> And so he goes back to his father Laban, or his father Lon, he says, so why did you do this to me? What, what, what's up with this? And he says, it's not our custom to give the younger one first. The older one has to be given in marriage. I'll give you Rachel too. And Jacob goes, two for the price of one. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I didn't ask for all this. I just want Rachel. He says, that's fine. I'll go ahead and give you Rachel now. Celebrate the rest of your marriage week with Leah. And then he says, you can go to work for me and I'll give you Rachel, but I'll give you Rachel right now. He worked for seven years to get Rachel, then didn't get her. He gets Leah. And then his father-in-law gives him Rachel immediately and he works for seven more. And the beautiful thing about that is when the Bible describes it, it says he was so in love with Rachel that those seven years were just like a few days. How many of you ladies want to be loved like that? So that seven years of hard labor is just like but a few days. And so they get married and they go to having babies, except Rachel's womb is closed. She can't have any children. She's the one who is loved. And so the Lord has mercy on Leah and opens her womb, but he doesn't open Rachel's womb. Uh, Jacob is crazy about Rachel. He tolerates Leah. Leah starts having babies. Reuben, behold a son is the name, is what the name means. And uh, then uh, Levi, of the tribe of Levi. Levi means joined. And, and every time 
Leah is naming these babies because she's hoping that her husband will love her. Now will my, now will my husband be joined to me. Simeon, he who hears and obeys. And then Judah, now will I praise the Lord because God has blessed my relationship. And so Leah's having baby, 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 baby. Rachel cannot get pregnant and she's crying out to God. And Leah has several more before Rachel has her very first one. Rachel is the favored wife. She's the one who Jacob loves with all of his heart. When God finally opens her womb, Joseph is born. Joseph is the one that this story is about today that I'm going to tell you for the next few minutes. He was obviously the favored child. Now, let me just say this. When it comes to Father's Day, Jacob really messed up in a couple of ways. He doted on this boy absolutely so much over what he did. The other children, the sons of Leah, now all of these are half-brothers to Joseph, okay? And Joseph grows up in a house where everybody knows that he is the favored child. He's the teacher's pet. He is the favored son. The others are trying to figure out which one of them are the black sheep of the family. And Joseph knows that he is the prince. As a matter of fact, his dad has a special coat sewn for him that is a coat of many colors like the rainbow, which is a picture of the covenant of God, the seven colors of the rainbow or the seven spirits of God, Revelation chapter 1. And it is apparent that the favor of God and the blessing of God and the hand of God are on, is on Joseph in a way that it's not on the other brothers. And they all know it and they're sick of it. Now let me just say this to you. I believe that as dads that we should have some consistency in how we provide for our children. At the same time, the other side of that coin is every relationship is different. I do not like when I hear somebody say, don't you love all your kids the same? And I say, absolutely not, because they're, they're both different relationships. I have a bond with my son that he is my image bearer. He, he bears my name. He, he is Michael Andrew Smith. There is a connection that is a masculine bond that a father and a son has that can't be described. At the same time, there is something in between me and Abby that is a shared, that is a spiritual thing, that is a musician, that is a, that is a heart for worship, that is, that is something that, that came all the way up from down in my toes that she's carrying through her whole being in the same kind of way. There's a strength and a warrior in Drew and there's a worshiper in Abby and I relate to both of them. And, and do I love them both indescribably? Absolutely. Do I love them the same? No. That doesn't mean that I love one in quantity more than the other. It just means they're different relationships. And, and, and I think that we need to be careful when we're raising children that we demonstrate love to them and also teach them that there are seasons when it may be this one's turn to be elevated and special provision come. He turned 16 before she did. He got a new car. She was, what, nine at the time. It's not time for Abby to be driving. But when it came her turn, she got blessed too. I, I, I always struggle a little bit with with folks when they feel like every time they go somewhere, they've got to come back and bring something to everybody. Now, when they're little kids, I think you need to. But when they're bigger kids, I think that we all need to learn how to celebrate and rejoice with the other one that's been blessed because there'll be a time when it's your turn to be blessed and you want him to rejoice with you just like he rejoiced with him or she rejoiced with her, whatever, however I said that. You know what I mean. I'm talking about my two. 
And so we, we've always gone back and forth of let's be consistent in how we provide, but let's also celebrate when it's his season and when it's her season to be promoted and when there's blessing because then we, we should all learn to rejoice with others when they're blessed and, and, and realize that your time is coming, your turn is coming. Come on, somebody. Because it's not the same for everybody. There are folks right now that are indescribably blessed. There's some of you that are in the middle of a struggle. Don't despise your brothers that are blessed because your time is coming. Be faithful. Rejoice with them that are being blessed. And, and if you're being blessed, don't be haughty about it. And don't think you did it because it's God who put the breath in your lungs and the strength in your body and the idea in your mind to do what got you the blessing that you got. So let's make sure we give God the credit. Come on, somebody. And so Joseph is doted over. And the brothers despise him. They hate him with a hatred. And he, he, he grows up and he's, 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 he's doted on. He gets away with everything. There's probably not enough correction. There's probably an over amount of correction to Leah's children. And then the whole thing is just dysfunctional. It's a mess. And it's a perfect example of blended families, you know. When you got yours, mine, and ours, you need to really labor to try to, to, to give an example of consistent fatherhood and be every one of them's really dad. If you're going to raise them, then be their really dad, as the little, little, little video showed us. I, I want you to see this morning that God took Joseph by a way of circumstances that had he read the fine print, he would have never signed on the line and signed the contract with God. He's going to end up and become the second most important man in the history of the world under the Pharaoh dynasty of Egypt, which was at one time in history the most powerful kingdom on the planet. And Joseph is going to rise to the place of being the prime minister, the second in command under Pharaoh, holds the keys, the king's signet ring, can make decisions just like Pharaoh does. He can open doors and shut doors. He can take men's lives. He can pass judgment. He can pass laws. What his word is literally becomes the law of the land because he comes to a place of significant influence. But the story that gets him there is one that none of us would ever want to go through because he's petted by his father Israel. But his brothers despise him and he comes out there in that multicolor, technicolor coat one day and he's bringing something way, way, way out. They're, they're miles out from home. They're nomadic sheep herders and they're taking care of the flocks and, and they literally say, here comes the dreamer. So they refer to Joseph as the dreamer because he's had a couple of dreams that he didn't prudently tell to the right people. He made the decision to tell his dreams to his half-brothers instead of waiting until he had a whole brother that could understand and love him. Because how many of you know everybody's not for you when you're blessed? There's some half-brothers in your own house sometimes, in your own family, maybe even in, in your own church, that, that everybody else that's for you and has your heart, they get excited when they see you blessed, and you can just know that others are just grimacing and nearly chewing a hole in their tongue, just trying to smile, I'm going, praise God. <laughs> Everybody's not for you. I don't want to upset you or offend anybody in the house, but how many of you know everybody's not for you? The sooner you can grow up and learn that, and make the decision that you're going to love them and forgive them anyway, the far better off you will be if you will learn to live by that principle. Somebody say amen in the house. Joseph is petted by his father, but he gets pitted by his brothers. They throw him into a pit, into a cistern, 
and they, some of them wanted to actually kill him. And they said, no, 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 no. One, one of the brothers rose into the place of defense of him and was his advocate and says, no, 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 we're not going to kill him. And here comes this roaming band of Ishmaelites on the, on the horizon. And they, one said, let's sell him into slavery. So they sold their brother, the dreamer, who had had a couple of dreams. And the reason they called him a dreamer was because he came and announced one day that God had given him a dream and showed him that all of the sheaves of the family, every one of his brothers was a sheaf of wheat in the field and they all came and bowed down to his sheaf of wheat. <laughs> oh, really, Joe? <laughs> now, now, you know what? This is, first of all, the, the first lesson you broke on how to win friends and influence your family. And so he tells the story. He should have kept his mouth shut. He, he didn't use any wisdom, and, and, and they don't respond well. They don't go, oh, praise God, I, I, I just bear witness with that. Hallelujah. I stand in agreement with that dream. Nobody responded that way. A week or two later, he has another dream. He dreams that the sun and the moon and the stars... Ten stars all come and bow down before him. The sun is Jacob and the, the, the moon is Rachel and, and, and the ten stars are all of the half-brothers of Leah and they're all bowing down before him. And he tells the dream again. And you know what? With this time, they were even less interested and excited about affirming him. There was no encouragement from the rest of Jacob's church. They didn't really want to hear what Joseph had to say. And so they called him the dreamer. Hey, here comes the dreamer. And so they catch him and throw him into a pit and they sell him into slavery to a band of Ishmaelites that are headed traveling as a caravan or a bunch of nomads. And they rip the coat from him and tear it and they throw goat's blood on it. And they said, let's tell our father that he was mangled by an animal. And they take the coat back as evidence that Joseph was dead and Jacob believes that Joseph is dead for years. He's hurt, he's broken, he's wounded, he's dejected. He's not really been a good dad to the rest of his sons, but certainly his prized possession, his pet, his prince is dead in his mind and he goes into depression. God later opens the womb of Rachel again and she has a full brother to Joseph. Joseph doesn't know it because he's going to spend 13 years in prison. Remember the story? This is my first point this morning. I just jumped past it. But the backstory asked the question, who is Joseph? And that's what I'm giving to you right now. He ends up having been sold into this roaming band and they sell him as a slave into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar makes him, because the favor of the Lord is upon Joseph, his head slave. He lets him make decisions. He's kind of the household manager He's the oikonomos, he's the manager in charge of the house. He's the steward over the house. He is the one who is making the decisions for all of the other hands, all of the other slaves. And he is very beloved. The Bible says through this, because Joseph gets actually more scriptural geography, he gets more placement, he gets more coverage than any of the other six characters, any other five characters in the book of Genesis. Literally from, from Genesis 36 all the way through 50, Skip one chapter, they're all about Joseph. So most of the book of Joseph is about this guy. And so he's got brothers who hated him, who, who, who lie to the dad and tell him that he's dead. They, they, they sell him to a, a, a roving band of nomads going past who sells him to Potiphar. And in the, in the middle of all of this, the Bible continuously repeats one phrase. It says, the Lord was with him. Look at your neighbor and say, the Lord is with you. You know what? If you can know that... 
if you can know that God is with you and God is for you, it will carry you through some of the most outrageous circumstances that you could never in your own strength be able to cope with. But if you know that God is for you and God is with you, how you can make it through anything, honey. And over and over the Bible says the Lord was with him. And the Lord blessed what Joseph put his hand to and he blessed Joseph's leadership and he was brought into the commandment. He became the steward. He was the head slave over Potiphar's house and, and he was masculine. He was muscular. He was handsome. He was rugged. He was everything that a man wanted to be at this time, uh, particularly in this particular age. And the Bible says Potiphar's wife was a woman of lust. She looked at Joe and she thought, mm, Joe's got it going on. She calls him into the house in the middle of the day. He's just being a faithful servant, a true young man with a pure heart. And she makes a very strong overture and advance toward him sexually. And he, he pushes back and he says, no, this can't be so. I cannot violate the trust of my master, nor can I violate the trust of my God. So he had two things. He had a double-edged sword saying, ma'am, I can't do this. Please, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, for whatever, I, I'm, I'm truly... I, I, I take it as a huge compliment, but please, I, I can't do this. And he runs and he flees, and she caught his robe, and that robe always gets Joseph in trouble. He got him in trouble with his brothers, got him in trouble with Potiphar's wife. He flees, he leaves. He's, he's a refugee, he's a man on the run, and Potiphar catches him, puts him in prison because of a lying woman. It isn't always a woman, but there's always some liar in some story in the Bible that will cheat you, that will disappoint you, that will betray you, that will hurt you, that will steal your promotion when you know you were next in line and should have gotten it. They will rip the job out from under you. They'll say things and get you fired. And how many of you know there's always recompense for the liar? God will take care of them. But God's going to take you through a school of the prison that you never thought you were going to get educated in, and Joseph's going to end up down in the very bottom of Pharaoh's prison. And he's going to be in this situation from the time he got pitted. Israel, his father, petted him. The brothers pitted him. This is the play on words. But he got potted in the house of Potiphar, okay? Just stay with me. Everybody say his dad petted him. His brothers pitted him. Potiphar potted him. So he gets sent to prison. And guys, from the time his brothers told the dad he was dead and smeared goat's blood on his multicolored coat to the time he actually came to the throne and became second in command under Pharaoh, it was 13 years. 13 years of waiting. And the Bible says Joseph stayed sweet in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that that could describe me to have been lied on, falsely accused. There's no DNA evidence to validate it. It's just... A powerful woman's word against a young man who is a minority, who is a slave, who is less than, who is impoverished. We all are probably connected to somebody who's been in that kind of a situation, a brother, friend, a relative who, who's been accused and maybe had to fight it, sometimes maybe, and maybe even done some prison time. Joseph is put into that place and he's there 13 years. The same amount of time that David runs from Saul. 13, 13 in Bible is the number of rebellion. And what God did in David's life, preparing him for the throne, working the rebellion out of him, God also did in Joseph's life, preparing him for the throne, working out of him the rebellion. What you have to see is that if you don't waste your experiences, God is teaching you today what will prepare you for tomorrow. 
But we have to deal with our past for the sake of our future because it's far too easy to get into the middle of these circumstances and then begin to live out of them and propagate them. Joseph ends up on the throne. Two other guys in, in Pharaoh's court end up down there in the prison with him. And the same thing happens in the prison that happened at Potiphar's house. The Bible says the Lord was with him. Say that with me. The Lord was with him. And it says it several times in several chapters there where he's in the prison and he got the favor of the head warden of the prison, made him the head prisoner in charge. Now, who's ever heard of that? He was trusted with the care of all the other prisoners. The favor of God's on his life. How many of you know when the favor of God's on your life ain't nothing anybody else can do about it? And God's going to bring you through before he brings you out. And when he brings you out, he's going to set you up in, in, some, in some authority and some significant influence. So Joseph is waiting for an opportunity. The Bible says when he was in prison and his, his ankles are bound in shackles, the scripture says the word of the Lord tried him. I know what that feels like when I'm waiting on the promise of God and I'm in a confining set of circumstances that are binding me and my trust can't be in anything except but the Lord himself. And I, I have to return and I have to go, God, I trust you. Help me stay sweet in the middle of this. Help me to forgive those who've betrayed. Help me to love my enemies. Help me, oh God, to pray for those who've despitefully used me. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And you have to work at it because it doesn't just happen automatically. It's not human nature. Joseph, I don't have time to tell the story, but you've got a cupbearer and a baker, and they both have dreams, and both their dreams come to pass. The cupbearer gets restored. The baker gets his head chopped off. Oh, well, the cupbearer's back in the presence of the king. He's the one who's tasting the wine for the king every day to make sure the king is safe and he's not going to die from somebody poisoning him. Cupbearer, when you get up there, make sure you remember to tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him about my story. Get, it, get me out of here because I don't belong in here. We saw the Shawshank Redemption again this week. It's one of Don's favorite movies. Movies, And one of the scenes is, oh, nobody's, nobody belongs in here. Everybody's innocent, you know, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie. Well, it was true of Joseph. He didn't belong in there. He'd been lied on, been cheated on. Two years later, everybody say a long time. About the time you're ready to give up. How many of you know? God will show up and he will show out in your life. When you're about ready to figure out that you can't do it in your own strength, he'll show up and the, the contract will come through. He'll show up and, and, and uh, somebody's heart will change toward you and a relationship will get reconciled. He'll show up and, 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 and the doctor's diagnosis won't be what you thought it would be. It'll turn it around and go, I can't explain this, but the cancer was there, but it's not there anymore. When you get desperate enough for God that you cry out and put your trust in Him, it's amazing how He will show up and show out in your life. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Joseph is brought back to the throne. And you know the story. Pharaoh has a dream. He dreams about ten big fat cows. I'm sorry, I said that in the first service. Where did ten come from? Seven big fat cows and seven lean cows and the seven lean cows consume and eat the seven fat cows. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams when none of his enchanters or wise men or magicians or philosophers could even come near it or interpret it. Joseph gives him the interpretation and God causes him to be favored and raised up into a place of leadership. Famine throughout the whole land. We read our scripture this morning in Genesis chapter 41 verses 50 through 52. And he has a couple of sons over there. He names one of them Manasseh. One of them, Ephraim. The famine hits. Here comes his brothers. 
And eventually his dad's brought to Egypt because they have to have something to eat. Joseph chooses in the right moment to reveal who he is. And this is what happened. Second point this morning, I'm moving on this one quickly. Everybody say the reproducible perspective. Say that, the reproducible perspective. You will either be a victim of your past or you will be a victor over it. It's in your hands. What doesn't get healed gets passed on. What doesn't get healed gets passed on. Joseph made the choice to not live like a victim, and the Lord was with him. Listen, everybody in this room at some time or another has been lied on, cheated, been misrepresented. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. You've been deceived. You've been manipulated. You've been intimidated. All of these hard action verbs that are all negative, that all bring feelings that don't make us better in the moment. They have a tendency to make us bitter. But I want to tell you, the circumstance that you face is going to make you one way or the other depending on what you're made out of. The heat, the tribulation, the fire, the furnace that you're going through, the same heat will harden the clay, but it will melt the gold. So this morning I ask you, are you clay? Are you hardening in the middle of your circumstance? Do you have a heart that is becoming harder and harder and more resistant to the things of God? Or can you say, God, make me gold so that you, you literally burn out all the impurities and I become flowing and malleable in your hands so that you can make me into whatever you want to make me into? The same boiling water that hardens the egg softens the potato. And so this morning I would ask you, don't curse the, the, the boiling pot that you're in or the furnace that you're in, but be concerned about the contents of your heart. God, let us be gold that melts in your presence, that you eventually can get it so pure that you look into and you see your own face and you see your reflection and you see the image of your son in each of our lives. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. A trust in the sovereignty of God. A trust that says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. A trust in the Lord who works all things after the counsel of his own will, Ephesians 1.11. A trust in the Lord, Becky sang this morning, you work all things together for my good. Now that's not a universal principle that works for everybody. It's for those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. If you're his really child and he is your really dad, he will work all things together for your good. Evil that is meant to you by somebody else, God will take it and he will turn that thing and redeem it and he will work it for your good together. Hallelujah. That's the word of the Lord. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. I'm finished this morning. Joseph had two boys. And I believe he became a hero of a dad. I believe he was an ordinary man who was able to do something extraordinary because of the Spirit of God in his life. I believe that he raised two amazing sons in Egypt and the dreams that he had came to pass when his own brothers and his father bowed before him and came for provision. And Genesis closes in Genesis chapter 50, and I believe it's about verse 20. It says, you meant it for evil, but God. Everybody say, but God. but God. I love but God. That phrase is, everything turns on that interruption, that but God. But God. You meant it for evil, but God. 
God turned it. God used it for the saving of many souls alive. You thought you were harming me? You know, if I had to do over again, I probably would be a little different. I've matured a little bit myself. Forgive me. I forgive you. I'm not going to hurt you. I don't, I'm not coming after you. That's crazy. Your life is in the hands of the Lord. My life was in the hands of God. And what God meant for evil, I mean, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many souls alive, so that you would come to this place and your life would be, your life would be saved by something that I would do in the future because the Lord was with him. And an ordinary guy did something extraordinarily because he dealt with his past for the sake of his future. And he birthed two boys. The first name, the first son is this, Joseph Manasseh. Everybody say forgetfulness. forgetfulness. The second one, here we go, Ephraim means fruitfulness. Some of you right now are going, God, I'm doing everything I know how to do. I'm, I'm giving, I'm tithing, I'm praying, I'm confessing the word, I'm, I'm reading my Bible every day, I'm, I'm, I'm studying the scripture and, and, and it's just like I just can't break through into abundance. I can't break through into fruitfulness. And let me tell you, you won't birth fruitfulness until you birth forgetfulness in your life. You have to choose to let go of the past. Becky sang it this morning in the new song, Still Believe. The one line says, Your blood compels me to forgive. It breaks my heart when I hear people say, that I just have, I'm in a situation where I just can't let it go. And you know what I'm going, please, you're not going to hinder them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not going to cause them any pain by holding resentment against them. You're going to eventually hurt yourself. Now, I'm, I'm preaching to dads, celebrating you today. Dads, you can be a better dad if you let the Holy Spirit deal with your past for the sake of your future. My dad touched a chord in my heart and it made me be a better dad to my son. And I'm thankful that every generation has the potential of doing something better. Drew can stand on my shoulders. Drew can stand on my shoulders and, and put his trust in God because of a dad who told him the stories about how when we prayed and how God met us. Dads, you have the ability to influence your family. Thank God for mom. When dads won't show up, moms always come through and pull through. But oh, how amazing it would be if the whole family would get into spiritual alignment with the purpose of God. And dad would do what he's called to do. And mom would do what she's called to do. And together they would have their hearts submitted to the Lord. And they would be a partnership. It wouldn't be one lording over the other. But together submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And together submitting to God. Oh, what God would do in families. And so much of the time, it's because dads are not in line. And I celebrate you that are sitting here this morning because of your heart and determination to build a family, to build champions for the sake of the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean you're perfect. There's nobody in this room that's perfect. I'm an imperfect dad. I'm still learning. I'm learning now how to relate to my children as adults and not as teenagers anymore. And it's taken me a little while. And I've had to have conversations and had, had to say, you know what? You're, you're past 21. You, you're grown. You can make your own decisions, but you're going to have to rise up and be responsible for those choices. I can't tell you anymore. This is my wisdom. This is what I would do. You make your decision. But then you rise up and bear that. And then it takes a step of growth for me not to rush in and rescue them because I'm knowing what they're going to do. And I did the same thing when I was 21 and 22 and my dad was trying to tell me and I wasn't listening. 
Come on, if we're really telling the truth, everybody in the room has got to, you have to bear witness to that. We've all done it, all been there. Deal with your past for the sake of your future. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Father, thank you for this time together in your word.